Oh man, I am getting emotional here. Woo! God is good, amen? God is good. I think part of why I am emotional is because I'm here with you. Um, it's just such an honor uh, for me to be here. Uh, some of you may uh, know me uh, from our Set Free Retreats. I've had the honor uh, of being here in the past, um, helping run the Set Free Retreats. And so, you know, being up here and sharing uh, with all of you, uh, I remember in those times, like, it was just such an honor. I, I just love being up here and, and, and sharing. And now that I get to do that as a pastor, a part of the pastoral team here is just, uh, I can't, you know, I kind of have to pinch myself. Is this really happening? Like, <laughs> this is amazing. And so I just, we're just so thankful to be here. Um, I'll just introduce myself a little bit for those of you who don't know me. I'm the new guy. So, um, you know, I've been pastoring uh, in Waterloo. So I was at Trinity Evangelical Missionary Church. It's one of our sister churches in the EMCC. I've been there. I was there as the lead pastor for seven years. And, um, you know, during that time, it's been a, it was an amazing season. God really did. Um, I grew a lot. I uh, grew a lot in that time, learned a lot, and uh, I would say, you know, towards the end of that seven years, I was beginning to sense a call from the Lord to engage lostness in our community. You know, I want to be around those who are unreached so that they would be reached, you know. Go to places and be amongst the people where Jesus is least known to make him known. I just felt a deep sense of calling, and the Lord, I, I just keep this short, but basically the Lord led me to um, E3 uh, Canada, I am second, and the Lord led me here. And so just this is a part of that, working out that calling of engaging our communities, engaging lost people, so that they would see Jesus for who he really is. He is great. He is awesome. And he can transform your life like he did mine. You know, there was a time in my life when I was struggling, struggling with addiction, struggling with hardship and dangerous, violent living. But then somebody shared the gospel with me. It was a homeless man, actually. I was at a coffee shop in Waterloo at Williams Coffee Pub, and this homeless guy came up to me, and he shared the gospel. And I realized I needed Jesus. In that moment, I just knew I needed Jesus. And I gave my life to him. And I surrendered my life to Jesus. And ever since then, I became a new creation. Totally transformed. He completely took away all addiction. And now I have joy. And I have peace. And I just love, love that I get to do this. To serve the Lord. And um, I have a story like that. And I want to see other people have a story like that. Amen. And so I believe that is part of my calling. And so um, I'm honored to be here uh, at Wilmot Center. And uh, for the next little while, you'll, you'll see me, uh, you know, twice a month, you know, because I will be preaching at other churches uh, from time to time. Um, I'm in the season of raising ministry partners who will help me go to those uh, to uh, least reached places uh, with E3 Canada, and so I'll be away at other churches, and so I'll be here as much as I can, um, because this is our family now, and so, um, yeah, can't wait to see what God's going to do, amen, in Wilmot Township, we're going to see revival, I believe that, and so let's get right into uh, 
let's get right into it today. So we are in our series in the book of Jonah. Jonah, one of the minor prophets, and like uh, Pastor Randall mentioned last week, it's not minor because he's some less important uh, prophet or, or because he has something less to say. Absolutely not. It's just a shorter um, book in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters. Uh, last week, uh, we looked at chapter 1, talking about running away from God. And Jonah did just that. He ran from what God wanted him to do. Instead of going to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish, which is totally opposite direction. I mean, completely opposite direction. Now, how many of you have ever gone in a different direction from what God wanted you to go in? How many of you have ever done that? Storms come, don't they? Hardships, trials, battles. Well, that's what happened to Jonah. And Jonah was tossed overboard when he was on that boat going the wrong way. And then a giant fish comes and swallows him up. And I know that's a crazy part of the story. You know? You're like, what? How did that happen? A giant fish comes and swallows Jonah. Um, I, that's just unbelievable. But you know what? That part of the story is crucial because it represents the grace of God. Like he could have drowned. He could have died. But the fish represents the grace of God. And so we're going to be picking up things in this series in chapter 2 where Jonah realizes when he's inside the belly of the fish, he realizes, I made a mistake here. I made a mistake. I'm inside a fish. And the response to that realization is prayer. He prays. That's how he responds. And that is, in his essence, that is what repentance is. Repentance is the recognition that I'm going the wrong way here. I'm changing direction. I'm changing the way I'm thinking to go from my way to God's way. That, in essence, is what repentance is. And that's what Jonah's doing. And so that's chapter 2. That's what chapter 2 is all about. It's Jonah's prayer. And so I'm going to be reading Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So here goes. I love that there's water up here. Like, this is great. Wow. <clears throat> From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I became sushi. <laughs> to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. 
What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And so the theme for this series is called, We Are All Running Somewhere. Father, we just want to come before you and just make this statement. We want to run with you. Because where you are is the best place to be. No matter where it is you call us to go, where you are is the best place to be. Help us to be where you are always. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in uh, 2007, wow, it's a long time ago now. But back in 2007, I was uh, just a couple years out of university and uh, wondering what I'm going to be doing with my life. You know, what is the destiny that God has for me? I was at the University of Waterloo, graduated from religious studies. I was like, all right, ministry, let's, let's go, Lord. And uh, no ministry positions opened up. And I was working in manufacturing, just waiting on God. And uh, my wife and I, we were, we were just married. We just had a baby. Our daughter, Eden, uh, was born. She was one, she was one years old. And um, yeah, just wondering, what's, what's, gonna, what's God going to do now? And so in the meantime, yeah, I was working in manufacturing. But here's one interest, really cool thing about my life was that God gave me a testimony. And I mean, it's a powerful testimony of what God can do in someone's life. Like, I'm that type of person, I was that type of person where you're like, there's no way that guy could ever come to the Lord. You know, I was that guy. And yet God did a miracle in my life. And so God gave me this testimony. And I began to share this testimony at different places. You know, at different churches, recovery groups about how God rescued me from addiction. God would open these doors and so it was really neat. And one of the places that asked me to come speak was this church in Waterloo. It was a Korean congregation. And they, and they said, hey, can you come and speak one Sunday? And I was like, yeah, sure. I went and I shared my testimony. And after that first Sunday, they invited me. They're like, hey, can you come for the entire month of March? I was like, whoa, uh, yeah, sure. And so I spoke for uh, the entire month of March. And little did I know that this was their interview process for me. I didn't know at the time, but they were looking to hire an English ministry pastor, and uh, that was my interview process. And so March goes by, I preached the four sermons, and then afterwards, one of the elders came to me and said, hey, would you become our English ministry pastor? They asked me, would you become our pastor? And you would think that my response would be one of two responses, either, yes, I will, or Let me pray about it and I'll get back to you. But do you know what my response was? It was none of the above. My response was to run. I ran from that. Instead of serving the Lord in ministry, I looked into teaching English in South Korea because I heard you could make some good money doing that. And let me tell you, it was all about the money. It was was about making money. That's what it was. 
That's, that's where my headspace was. And so I searched for different jobs on the internet. And it turns out, you know, some of my friends were already in South Korea teaching English. And so we got connected with them and um, found a school that would cover travel costs, travel, uh, cover the housing costs. And so I decided that we would go to South Korea. And notice I said I decided to go. My wife did not want to go. And let me tell you something, husbands, don't do that, okay? <laughs> I learned a really, really bad lesson. And I also learned that, you know, the Lord often speaks through my wife, very often. And so men, we need to hear <laughs> what our wives have to say because oftentimes it's the Lord speaking through them. I, I, I had like, I, I was tone deaf, so I, I, I didn't hear Instead, I was thinking, we have to go. I mean, we just had a baby. All our families here. All our support systems here. But it didn't matter. In my impatience, in my haste, I decided to get that job in South Korea, and we moved there in May of 2008. Now, last week, Pastor Randall showed us this map of Jonah's decision to go the wrong way. Look where Nineveh is, and look where... Tarshish is. It's like literally the opposite direction. Like completely opposite direction. And I too went the wrong way. Now here's the interesting thing about Jonah's story, okay? I'll get back to my story in a second. God allowed Jonah to go the wrong way. He allowed it to happen. You see, God could have stopped Jonah. He could have put boundaries in place. He could have put some sort of obstacle in the way so that he couldn't go. God could have sent the storm before Jonah even got on that boat so that he couldn't get on the boat, so that he couldn't go the wrong way. God could have done that. Instead, God allowed Jonah to make the mistake that he made. The things that we choose to do, whether we are running to God, running with God, or running away from God, that is a choice that we make. Those are things that we choose to do. And if our choice is to run away from God, a lot of times God will allow you to make that choice. He'll allow it to happen. How many of you know that there are many lessons to be learned from mistakes? There absolutely is. I seem to make them that way only. I only learn through mistakes. That's not totally true, but it's true, you know, very true. But it's true. We learn from our mistakes. God allowed me to get a job I wasn't supposed to get. To go to a country I was not supposed to go to. To work in a field that I was not supposed to work in. All to show me something very significant. So, so back to my story. In 2008, we're in Suwon, South Korea. From the moment we landed in Korea, things went wrong. Things just went wrong. The job did not turn out to be what it was supposed to be. Way more hours than I had anticipated. Korea, 40-hour work week, is, it doesn't exist there, okay? 
It's not 40 hours. It's like 60, 70, 80 sometimes, right? They just have a whole different perspective on work. My job didn't turn out to to be what it was supposed to be. The hours were long. The apartment that we were given, it was super ghetto. I mean, it was so bad. It was so bad. We walked in, Allie and I walked in. The first thing she did was cry. This is where we're going to live. We, we opened the bathroom door. It was so small. The shower was on top of the toilet. Just, just, you know what I'm saying? You can use the bathroom and shower at the same time. That's what it was. Now, I've since learned that this is kind of normal in parts of the world, other parts of the world. You know, I've been able to travel a bit, and I've seen, oh, it's not just South Korea that lives this way. Other countries do this too. But at that time, I'm like, this is a nightmare. How, how can we live like this? How do you do that? You know, it was brutal. It was like we were in a nightmare. On top of that, our daughter got sick. She was one. Broke out in mysterious hives. We couldn't understand what was going on. I got sick. I mean, it was like a storm of misfortune. And on top of all this, we were in culture shock. Now, I'm Korean, right? Obviously. (laughs) But my whole life I thought, yeah, I'm Korean, Canadian. I'm a Korean Canadian. But in 2008, I switched my mind, man. I realized I'm not Korean Canadian. I'm Canadian Korean. All right? No offense to anyone watching on live stream if you're Korean. I love you. You're my peeps. But I realized then that I am a Canadian, man. I am a toque wearing, Tim Hortons drinking, proud to say a Canadian. That's what I am. I realized that. All right? Amen. Yes. But culture shock, wow. I didn't, re- I didn't think I would get culture shock in the country where my family was from. I, I didn't think, but I did. It was major culture shock. For those of you who have ever experienced it, it can be like a black hole of negativity. You hate everything and everyone around you. It's like, what? you question everything. Why did they do that? Why did they say that? Why, why did they do things this way? Everything. It's just negativity. I became a completely different person when I was in South Korea. And, and I mean, there's, there's crowds of people everywhere. I mean, South Korea, the population is 15 million more than Canada on a landmass like 100 times smaller. So it's like the entire population of Canada in Nova Scotia, if you can imagine that. I mean, it's like, holy smokes, everywhere you go, there's someone there. Everywhere you go, there's somebody there. You know, if you're riding the bus or you're on the subway, you don't need to hold anything. The handlebars, you don't even need that. There's so many people jammed in there that when, you're, when you start to go, it's like, you're all good. You're, you're like sardines. So it's like, oh, and if the bus driver were to go, eh, stop, you don't, have to hand, you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, there's shock absorbing everywhere. People, it's everywhere, okay? One day we were in this crowd, and here's, here's culture shock for you. Um, since there's so many people everywhere, when you're walking down the street, people will bump into you, but nobody will be like, oh, sorry about that. Because it happens all the time. It's just normal. When you're walking, you know, someone's shoulder checks you, or, oh, it's normal. So it's just, you just keep 
walking. I didn't know that, you know. And so somebody like really bumped into me one time. We were, we were you know, going to the bus and I was so upset. And I did something so bad. I went and I elbowed the person who did that, okay? And so I throw this like UFC move, like boom, I elbow. And I look back and I was like, oh no, it was an elderly woman. And I elbowed her really hard, like really hard. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was not in God's will for me. Jonah was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jonah was not in God's will for him. And so when the storms came, and he was on the boat, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse, the more he was, like the longer he was on that boat going the wrong way, the storms kept getting worse until he was finally thrown overboard. And I could just imagine what was going through Jonah's mind in that time. I went the wrong way. And that's when God sends the big fish to swallow him. And while Jonah is inside the belly of the fish, he realizes he, realizes he needs God. A lot of times that's what we need when we're walking in life and we're going the wrong way. We need a fish to swallow us. We need a circumstance or a situation that just stops us on our tracks and says, you're going the wrong way. So you want to hear the rest of my story, the belly, my belly of the fish story? One day, I was hungry, Hallie, we were hungry, tired of eating Korean food. I love Korean food. I'm Korean, right? Obviously, I love Korean food. But, you know, when you're eating it every day, you're like, man, I could use some pasta. You know, I just was, I want some pasta. And so I went out to look for uh, a restaurant that would offer Western food. And in Korea, plazas aren't like here where everything's on one level. Plazas are up. So it's like buildings that like are, you know, many stories tall. And so you got to look up buildings to see, you know, what the store is. And so I'm looking, looking around and way in the corner on like the fourth or fifth floor of this one building is an Italian restaurant. I thought, sweet. And so I went there and I was like, yes, they have fettuccine Alfredo. It better be real fettuccine, not the Korean version, but like, you know, fettuccine Alfredo. And so I uh, ordered fettuccine Alfredo for Allie and I, and as I was sitting there in this Italian restaurant in Suwon, South Korea, I noticed they were playing some music in the uh, speaker system, and it was instrumental music. Want to know what song it was? Be Thou My Vision was playing in this restaurant in Suwon, South Korea. And I was listening to it, I'm like, all of a sudden, it was like I wasn't in South Korea anymore. I was simply in the presence of God. And I was listening to the song playing and it just, it just soaked deep in my soul. Be thou my vision. And for the first time in a very long time, the Lord spoke to me there and he said, I am here with 
you. And I started to weep. I was weeping and weeping and weeping. It was so powerful. And it, what happened was it fixed my gaze off of myself and back onto God. And in that moment, I said, God, your will, your way. And so after that, I said to Ali, we're, we're done. We're, we're leaving. I'm sorry. Made a mistake. Let's go back home. And so, you know, I canceled my contract with the school. And after seven months of being outside of God's will, we came back to Canada. I immediately went back to the church. I didn't know if they hired a, a pastor yet. I just wondered what was happening. And so I went back. I spoke to the elders of that church, and they're like, we, we've been waiting for you to come back. I thought, wow. And so, you know, it was just incredible. I became their English ministry pastor, and it was like, honestly, like riding a wave of God's grace and mercy during that time of ministry. God did incredible things. I just had to show up, and God would move. And we saw kids getting saved, dedicating their lives to Jesus, there are some now full-time missionaries that have come out of that group. I mean, it's just astounding. When you're in God's will, what can happen? I learned an incredibly important lesson. I believe in some ways it's parallel to the lessons that we read of in the book of Jonah. You know, there are times in life where God will call you to go somewhere. He will call you to do something for Him. To follow after Him. Even if it's not popular even if it's uncomfortable, even if you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, God may call you to something. He may call you to let go of some things. And even though you know God wants you to do something, you can choose your own way. God will allow that to happen. God will allow you to walk down the path that leads nowhere but to storms and battles and trials. But there comes a time when God will freeze you, stop you in your tracks, and send a fish or do something, some sort of a circumstance to prevent you from going any further the wrong way. And that's where Jonah was. And from that place he prays. And I want to look at three parts of his prayer that reveal what happens when you stop, look to God, and surrender to his will for your life. Number one, it's from verse one. This is what verse one says. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Jonah's response was to look to God. When you are running from God, you're looking at everything else but God. You're looking at your circumstances, you're looking at your finances or your lack of finances. You're looking at your troubles, worry, fear, anxiety, and that's what drives your decision making. But you see, God doesn't want us to make decisions out of fear, anxiety, or worry. He wants us to look to Him in our anxiety, fear, and worry. Philippians chapter 4, 6-7 to says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here's, here it is. This is so beautiful. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that part. The peace of God. There's nothing like it. It's supernatural. Especially when you're in a situation that you don't, you don't know what's going on all around you. All of a sudden, when you experience the peace of God, you can be anywhere. It doesn't matter. You're in the presence of God. But you know what? I love the first part of that verse even more. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. No matter how big that mountain is in front of you, no matter how impossible that situation seems in front of you, no matter how difficult the season is that you're in, present your requests to God. Look to God. Do you feel stuck? Look to God. Do you feel helpless? Look to God. Jonah said, in my distress, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. So number one is look to God. Number two is from verse four. This is what verse four said. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The holy temple was the place where God's presence dwelled. The temple represents the presence of God. Jonah suddenly became aware of the presence of God. How many of you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I've heard a couple of different ways of pronouncing that last dude's name. Abednego, Abednego. I used to say Abednego, but I don't think that's right. (laughs) Abednego, Abednego. Abed. That's a fascinating story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a fiery furnace. And the presence of God was with them in that furnace. And nothing happened to them. The impossible became possible because of the presence of God with them. How many of you know the story of Stephen in the New Testament, in the book of Acts? He was being the guy that got stoned to death. Now, I can't imagine going through something like that. But just before being stoned, he's caught up in this vision. And he sees the Lord, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Now, I would like to believe in that moment he didn't feel any pain. I would like to believe that. I wish that were true, but I do believe this, that it didn't matter because he was so, so consumed by being in the presence of God, the glory of God, that nothing else mattered in that moment. No matter where you are, no matter what it is you're going through in life, the awareness of God's presence in your life works wonders to how you see what you're going through. It's unbelievable what it can do. Changes everything, changes your perspective. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. 
in your presence there is fullness, fullness of joy, fullness of joy. You know, some people might ask, you know, how are Christians the way they are? Like going through situations like they do, and yet you have this joy. The presence of God. In his presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jonah realized from within the belly of the fish that God's presence is where he needed to be. If it meant go to Nineveh, go to Nineveh. Even though it seems impossible, I don't really feel like going there. But God's presence is with me, so I'll go there. If God calls you to go somewhere, he will be there with you. You know, the great commission of Jesus, the last words of Jesus in Matthew 28 Verse 19 to 20, it says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is a promise of God. You could take that to the bank. If he's going to call you to go somewhere, he's going to go there with you. It doesn't matter where it is. He's with you. He's with you. If God has called you to a certain ministry, if God has called you to share the gospel, if God has called you to go to Ray of Hope and serve the poor, if God has called you to men's ministry or women's ministry, if God has called you to do something or go somewhere, He fully intends to go there with you. He's with you. He is there. His presence is there. Stay in the sweet spot of God's presence. There is no place in the world you would rather be. I guarantee it. Lastly, verse 9. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. When you look to God and you stay in the sweet spot of his presence, it will restore your worship of him. It will restore your worship of God. When I was in that Italian restaurant in Suwon, South Korea, listening to Be Thou My Vision changed everything. And the verse that kept sticking to me, that keeps coming back, and even to this day, is this verse here. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. In that moment, God restored my worship. And for a moment, I forgot I was in South Korea. I forgot I was there. I was just in the presence of God. I could have been in Baghdad. I could have been in Turkey or somewhere in the 1040 window. It doesn't matter. I was in the presence of God, worshiping my king. And when you worship your king, it restores everything. It brings everything back into alignment. My eyes are no longer on me and my glory, but you and your glory, Lord. My eyes are back on you. All of my attention, all of my affection, all of my devotion, all of my 
focus is on you, Lord. It's on you. It's on you. It's on you. I'm just going to invite the worship team to come back. We're going to be observing communion in a moment. Maybe you are here this morning and you have been running. You have been running away from God. You are finding yourself in a place where you feel stuck. You know, being stuck is not a bad place to be. I mean, it's not the best place to be. But it's not bad because it is there that God can restore. He can restore you. You can only go around that same mountain so many times. You can only stay on that hamster wheel of going nowhere for so long. Do you know what I'm saying? You can only keep bumping your head against that wall so many times until God says, are you ready to turn around and do things my way? God is calling you to look to him. And some of you need a radical re-encounter with his presence. And I believe for some of you that's today. And I believe that as we partake in communion, that as we fix our focus on Jesus and what he's done and who he is, he will begin to restore some of those things in our lives, restore our worship, restore our sense of his presence around us, that we may look to him. Now maybe you're here this morning and God is calling you to do something. He's calling you to some form of ministry. And you're like, how is that going to look? How is that even going to work out? Perhaps, you're, you're, perhaps you are called to start something. Whatever it is, it might be scary for now, but God, he wants you to know he's with you. And I believe that realization, that revelation will happen today as we just take this time to focus on him, to set our gaze back onto him, make him first. And say, God, your will, your way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Help us to see. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. What your spirit is saying to each and every one of us today. We love you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that that you won't let us drown. You won't let us go too far away the wrong way. That your desire is for us to be in your will, doing things your way. Because it really is the best way. It's plan A. It is the number one thing for our lives. Help us to recognize it, surrender to it, and walk with you. Run with you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.